Amazon Futuro Media and PRX, it's in the thick. I'm Julio Ricardo Varela. And I'm Renee Graham, and this is ITT Sound Off. So glad to have you back, Renee. Thank you. Love being here. Yeah, no, it's great. And for all you Maria Hinojosa fans who've been DMing me about where's Maria, um, well, just go on her social feed. She's doing amazing work that she'll be sharing very, very soon. She will be back with me. Maria and Julio will be back next week. And uh, stay tuned. We're going to be sharing some pretty exciting announcements about In the Thick. So that's for next week. But for now, let's get to it with our first topic, which is the latest on the death of Tyree Nichols. On Wednesday afternoon, friends and family gathered in Memphis, Tennessee, to mourn and celebrate the life of Tyree Nichols, who died after being brutally beaten by five police officers on January 7th. Vice President Kamala Harris and Reverend Al Sharpton were among those who spoke at the funeral, mourning yet another victim of police violence. And according to Mapping Police Violence, which tracks this type of information, U.S. law enforcement has killed at least 1,176 people in 2022 alone. And experts believe the data is likely undercounted. So along with the five black officers who were fired, two more police officers were relieved of duty. I mentioned Preston Hemphill and another who has not been identified yet. Renee, we talked about how you don't have to be white to perpetuate white supremacy. I know that's what you and I have talked about in the past. And on the latest episode of Latino Rebels Radio, which dropped earlier this week, I spoke to Lourdes Rosado, who's president and general counsel for Latino Justice, PRLDEF, who talked about this in policing. So let's take a listen. Anyone who knows a little history knows that systems of oppression rely on, depend on turning people to turn on their own kind, right? To oppress and control and terrorize their own people. Look at slavery and here in the U.S. and anywhere else in the world over the centuries. It's part of the method of control and terror. As someone here said to me the other day, and I think it's great, blue trumps black and brown. And that's systemic. That's a conscious thing that those with power and privilege do to maintain their power. Renee, you've written more about this. You know, this is the story that's going on now with Tyree Nichols. Where are you at since the last time we've talked about this? You know, Julio, it's demoralizing doesn't even begin to cover it. You know, I feel like I wake up every morning and I do the terrible thing, which is to look at my phone first to see what has happened in the world. And usually what I'm looking for are two things, either a mass shooting or another black person killed by the police. It happens again and again. It is such a wash, rinse, repeat cycle that we know what's going to happen. You know, there's going to be this big hue and cry. There's politicians who are going to posture and then nothing is going to change. We know that the George Floyd Act is not going to pass. It is never going to get past Kevin McCarthy and the Chaos Caucus. <laughs> it is just the most difficult way to live. And I think that the conversations about, oh my God, the officers were black, therefore it can't be racism. That's a distraction and it's nonsense. Yeah. It's such an obvious like trope. Right. It happened again, right? With Tyree Nichols. And also just the, 
the same things that were said about George Floyd, right? The right wing always does this and it's always the victim's fault. It's not white supremacy. It's not police. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the white supremacist system of law enforcement. That has nothing to do with this, Renee, when in fact it has everything to do with it, right? Well, something I immediately thought about when I when I heard about the officers was the scene in John Singleton's great movie, Boys in the Hood. Oh, I love it. Where Cuba Gooding Jr. is pulled over by two police officers, one black and one white. Huh. You're scared now, huh? I like that. That's why I took this job. I hate little motherfuckers like you. And it's the black police officer who's in his face, who puts a gun under his chin, who does all of this. And at the time, people were like, why is it happening? Like, because that's a fact. That's so true. That was it. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt that, but I'll let you bring it home. <laughs> but I just need to acknowledge Boys in the Hood because now you you mentioned that scene to me. And it just proves the point that this is an ongoing issue that has been part of communities dealing with law enforcement and mistrust Right. For decades, for centuries. And that's exactly what John Singleton was trying to say 30 years ago. Yeah. And people are still acting like they're shocked that black officers could be involved in this. It's beyond that. Yeah. We know that the officer who killed Philando Castile was Latino. We know that the officer who killed the Kai Gurley in New York was Asian American. It's not as simple as this thing. It's bigger than I said. It's blue. That is the problem. The problem is policing in America. It doesn't really matter who's in the uniform. Right. And one of the things before we move on, um, you did mention the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Just wanted to say that Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee, she's pledged to add a new clause to that act, which will work to combat police brutality and racial bias. Although full details of the clause have not been released yet, but it's again, feels like a symbolic bill because Kevin and the chaos kids Mm -hmm. are in charge of the house. I just created a new band name for them. But the last thing I'll say about this, Renee, before we move on to the next topic, and I mentioned this in Latino Rebels Radio, but one of our contributors, Professor William Lopez, had this excellent tweet that really crystallized the relationship between law enforcement and black and brown communities. And it's not just black officers in black communities. It's also, if you look at the border, you know, border patrol agents are predominantly Latino. Mm-hmm. And it's the same type of mentality that, you know, we have to police our own. And what uh, Lourdes Rosado said just really was spot on for me. So let's just be real about it. That's all I'm saying, because it's a bigger issue and it's about policing. Exactly. Not necessarily about, you know, who the individuals are. Right. Keep focused. Don't get distracted on what it's really about. Moving on to our second topic, the college board. On Wednesday, the College Board announced that they had changed the curriculum for its Advanced Placement African-American Studies course, removing critical race theory readings from the syllabus and making the study of certain topics, including Black Lives Matter, queer life, and the debate over reparations, optional. The revisions came after a decision by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis to block an AP African-American Studies course in the state. In January, DeSantis claimed that the College Board was quote, pushing an agenda, unquote, on students with their course. However, the College Board denied accusations that they cowed to DeSantis, claiming their revisions were completed in late December before Florida's rejection of the course. We believe that. Uh, Elijah Edwards, a black high school student from Florida who threatened to sue DeSantis over this decision, spoke at a Stop the Black Attack rally last week. Let's listen. I could already imagine the insightful discussions and daily new history facts. 
But instead of approving the class and giving me and my fellow students around Florida a glimmer of hope to learn about the roots of our lineage, Governor DeSantis decided to deny the potentially life-changing class and, effective, and effectively censor the freedom of our education and shield us from the truths of our ancestors. Mm. I can't believe that this is 2023 and America is talking about censoring education. Mm. This is America. <sighs> what year are we in? <laughs> you know, I mean, the College Board cave. Why can't they? They should own that. This is pure capitulation. They gave in to what Ron DeSantis wants, which gives Ron DeSantis and his white supremacist cult in Florida even more power that they can make a lot of noise and decide what can and can't be acceptable in Florida schools. You know, if I could just tell a really quick story. Yeah. When I was a kid, my mom was a voracious reader and it was never a big deal to see like her with some book around the house or whatnot. But one time she was reading a book that she made a special cover for. So you couldn't see what she was reading. And that really like piqued my interest. Right. So the minute she was out of the room, I ran over and I slipped the paper off to see what the book was. Now, look, I don't know what a hooker was or why she was so happy, but I understood the fact that because my mother was hiding it, it made me want to know more. And I think that's the thing that's happening. People want to understand what it is that Ron DeSantis feels is so threatening that it has to be taken out of Florida schools. And I hope that that really ignites people to push back because this is going to continue happening and it's not just going to stay in Florida. Right. And there's already... Um more than two dozen states that have adopted some sort of measure against critical race theory, right? But we knew it was never going to just stop with critical race theory. Yeah, exactly. And that's according to a study from UCLA. But you're absolutely right. This is the thing. Yeah, the College Board, please, <laughs> let's stop pretending that they didn't capitulate. Mm -hmm. It was so obvious, right? The last thing the College Board wants is like <laughs> actual attention because if you actually start putting attention on the college board, you might find a lot of things that you might <laughs> that could be objectionable. I mean, it is a nonprofit, but it's I think it generates over a billion dollars because it basically is sort of the clearinghouse for higher education right. and AP classes in the country. Like there is no other organization that does what they do. Right. But they've damaged their own credibility in doing this. They ruined their own exactly. brand in caving to Ron DeSantis. Right. As a nonprofit. Right. You know, you're supposed to be for freedom of education and especially in this time, it's what, you know, it's right. what Elijah said. It's 2023 people. Mm -hmm. You know, the history of black America has been invisibilized for centuries. And I actually seeing sort of a greater awareness of black history. Right. And we're talking during Black History Month. So just... You know, but every like I say, just like Hispanic Heritage Month is every day. So is black history. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But exactly. with that said, I think it's going to backfire because I do believe that young black kids are much more aware mm -hmm. of their past because of the work that's being done. I think that's going to be the case with other kids as well. You know, when yeah, yeah. No, I think the generation like the younger generation is a point is like. In a way, the Internet and digital media has actually been positive because mm -hmm. you've been able to uncover invisibilized histories, I would argue, because it's more accessible now because you're online, right? And you have more. Mm -hmm. It's easier to find things yourself if you find the right information. Well, it's like when the TV show Watchmen had the Tulsa race massacre. Exactly. Like, I would argue that even 20 years ago, that wouldn't happen. You know, we were still kind of stuck, you know. 
we're, we're totally revealing our age, but we don't give a shit. You remember Roots <laughs> in the 70s? I mean, yes. you watch Roots and you're like, okay, but, you know, it's still this weird retelling. Whereas now you're seeing more of an unfiltered look at the black experience and it's threatening to people like Ron DeSantis and his allies. He would have banned Roots. He would have kept Roots off of Florida television, right? He probably would have banned Roots. Because that was something people weren't getting in school. Exactly. You're absolutely right. But listen, final thoughts on this before we go? You know, simply the fact that it's going to continue to spread. And I really hope that the parents and the students who are against this, that we hear more from them. All we hear are from the dingbats who are just like, oh, my God, we don't want our children feeling bad. <laughs> there are lots of parents who are perfectly happy with this history being out there and their children learning it. And I really hope that the media makes an effort to talk to them as well. Hi, it's Maria Hinojosa, host of Latino USA. We all love great stories and great stories are what we pride ourselves in delivering to you every week. Latino USA presents a mix of reporting on culture and politics, diverse voices and coverage of current and emerging issues featuring stories from the heart, stories that will make you think and maybe even inspire you. Listen to Latino USA on your favorite podcast app from PRX. We're moving to our final topic, which is the Republican Party. So on Thursday, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, the lead singer of Kevin and the, the Chaos Kids, <laughs> <laughs> I brought it back, um, and Republican lawmakers voted to remove Representative Ilhan Omar, who's a Democrat from Minnesota, from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. They voted to remove her, citing past remarks she's made about Israel that they've deemed anti-Semitic and anti-American in the eyes of Kevin and the Chaos Kids. House Democrats, who all voted against the resolution, argued that the move was revenge for Democrats previously removing Representatives Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar from their committees for extremist comments and for sharing content depicting violence against other Congress members. So ahead of the vote on the House floor on Thursday morning, lawmakers debated the resolution and... Into the ring was Representative <laughs> Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who, well, take a listen. As also as a fellow New Yorker, I think one of the things that we should talk about here is also one of the disgusting legacies after 9-11 has been the targeting and racism against Muslim Americans throughout the United States of America. And this is an extension of that legacy. Consistency, there is nothing consistent with the Republican Party's continued attack except for the racism and incitement of violence against women of color in this body. I had a member of the Republican caucus threaten my life and you all and the Republican caucus rewarded him with one of the most prestigious committee assignments in this Congress. Don't tell me this is about consistency. Don't tell me that this is about an a condemnation of anti-Semitic remarks when you have a member of the Republican caucus who, have who has talked about Jewish space lasers and an, an entire amount of tropes and also elevated her to some of the highest committee assignments in this body. This is about targeting women of color in the, in the United States of America. Don't tell me because I didn't get a single apology when my life was threatened. Thank you. Speak, sister. Speak. Damn. All right. <laughs> what do you got, Renee? About wow. Okay, AOC. 
church. She took him to church and she was absolutely right. First, let me just say she represents the district that I grew up in New York and could not be prouder of who she is and what she says and what she represents. Queens in the house. Jackson Heights, baby. Jackson Heights. Jackson Heights. You know, she said it. She put it out there and there's no denying it. And the Republicans know exactly what she said is true. Not that they're going to do a damn thing about it, but call it out, call it by its name. And that's exactly what she's doing. This is nothing but revenge when they did absolutely nothing when Paul Gosar put on social media something that was threatening AOC's life. Yeah. There's no comparison. I'm not saying that everything Ilhan Omar has said has been correct, but she has apologized. She has tried to do better. She was spoken to at the time by Nancy Pelosi, who was then House Speaker. What is Kevin McCarthy doing? But again, letting the chaos kids do whatever the hell they want, it's a travesty. And this is what we're going to continue to get and get. The American people's work is not going to be done because Republicans are on a revenge tour. Yeah, I think um, this is part of the deal that Kevin had to make with the chaos kids. And, you know, I'm sure this was something that was discussed. But a couple of things that we should just mention, uh, Jim McGovern, who who's a Democrat out of Massachusetts, said this in The Washington Post. Congresswoman Omar never posted a video pretending to kill another member of Congress. Mm -hmm. Hi, Paul Gosar. She never advocating putting a bullet in the head of the Speaker of the House of Representatives. No, those are things Republicans have done and have said. And we know this is clear, like this is what we've become, like it's going to be this level of of extreme behavior. And there is this thirst for payback. Right. And the, the chaos kids have some power. But this is how stupid it is. Ken Buck, Republican from Colorado, was overheard after the vote saying this is the stupidest thing in the world. Mm. He still voted for it. Yeah. So you've yeah. got Republicans who will say that going, this is ridiculous, this is a waste of time, but they don't have the spine to say, I'm not going along with this. Right. Listen, um, well, it is 2023, so I will mention the fact that there are people who are now considering to run for president in 2024. And this week, there's reports that Nikki Haley, former UN ambassador and former governor of South Carolina, is planning to announce her candidacy for president. And that official announcement is expected on February 15th. Renee, any thoughts about Nikki Haley? I feel like she's been announcing her candidacy for the last decade. So, you know, it's a little <laughs> anticlimactic. <laughs> Having said that, you know, uh, Nikki Haley is a shapeshifter. OK, she will be whatever the moment calls for. She hated Donald Trump. Then she loved Donald Trump. She was for the Confederate flag until pressures forced her to be against the Confederate flag and take it down yeah. after the massacre of the Charleston Nine in, in 2015. Yeah. You know, this is not someone who we trusted. And with the way the Republican Party is now, you can't figure out where she's going to be. Is she going to position herself as a moderate, good Republican, a sensible Republican? Or is she going to try to track, you know, to the to the right of Ron DeSantis? It's hard to know. Yeah. And that's why she can't be trusted. And I really, you know, I want to see a woman as president, but not that one. Woman. Shape shifter, man. You're just like dropping some references today, Renee. Um, it's been a tough week. <laughs> promise me you stay warm this weekend because we're the two, you know, Boston area people that will be in negative <laughs> weather. I'm not even opening the door to get the mail. Are you kidding? <laughs> like, no, mm -mm. <laughs> you're good. So I hope for all the people in the Northeast who are going to be facing these um, extreme weather conditions. Just, you know, hang in there. Right. I, I, what am I doing? I'm like some weather dude. It's like, be careful out there. <laughs> anyway, Renee, thanks for being on. Thanks, Julio. 
I'm Julio Ricardo Varela. And I'm Renee Graham. Uno, dos, and remember, go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review us because it really, really helps. Also, you can now listen to In The Thick on all the major podcast platforms. Check us out on the web at inthethick.org. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at In The Thick Show. Like us on Facebook and tell your friends. And be sure to follow Renee's work at the Boston Globe, my local paper, which I proudly support and get delivered to my home. Yay. Support local journalism, people. It's important. In the Thick is produced by Nur Saudi, Oscar Fernandez, and our New York Women's Foundation Ignite fellow, Daniela Tello Garzon. Our editorial director is Fernanda Santos. Our audio engineering team is Stephanie LeBeau, Julia Caruso, Gabriela Baez, and JJ Carubin. This episode was mixed by Rosana Caban. Our marketing manager is Luis Luna. The music you heard is courtesy of Nacional Kept and ZZK Records. All right, we'll see you next time. We're going to have some big announcements when Maria's back. Thank you for listening. Peace out, y'all. Stay safe, stay warm, support your local newspaper. The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors in this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Futuro Media or its employees.